Amen. We thank you and praise you, Lord, that we do serve a holy, a righteous, a perfect, and a just God. And Lord, we again, we thank you that on this Father's Day that you are our perfect Heavenly Father who loves us so very much. We pray right now as we go to this time in your word that you would be our teacher. Minister to every heart that's here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. It's so good to have you here. Happy Father's Day once again. Again, if you don't have a Bible here at Calvary Chapel, you will need one. Right? Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. You're going to need a Bible. So raise your hand. If you don't have one in your hand, because you're going to need one. And if you do have one, turn to Romans. We're going to look at the last few verses of chapter 11 that we left off on last week. We're going to pick up in chapter 12. If you're new here, here at Calvary Chapel, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, right through the Bible. On Wednesday nights, we started in Genesis chapter 1, and we just go right through the Old Testament. This coming Wednesday will be in Numbers 27. And then we started in Matthew chapter 1 on Sunday mornings, and we're now up to... Mainly it will be Romans chapter 12 this morning. And youth, by the way, it's good to have you guys in here. Um, most of you guys know I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and I love teenagers, and that's never going to change. So I love having you guys in here once a month, and, and Lord willing, you'll, you'll be tracking with me this morning. Well, let's get, let me catch you up real quick. If you're, it's your first time here, or just to, as a way of review, the, the book of Romans is a, an epistle or a letter. It's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And it is the greatest book as far as the, the content of doctrine in all of the Bible. What is doctrine? It's just biblical truth. And what we've seen so far is that the doctrine that Paul has taught is first the doctrine of sin. We saw in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And we must be born again to go to heaven. And we can't get in by our good works. And so we first must see we are sinners to see our need for a Savior. Then we saw the next thing in chapters 4 through 6, he taught the doctrine of salvation. So we know we've got this S-I-N problem, the sin problem. How do we get into heaven if God can't have sin in heaven? Or he'd have earth part 2. If he had one sin in heaven, we'd have earth all over again. But we're all sinners. We've got a problem. Well, praise God for the doctrine of salvation. Because it's by grace we've been saved not lest any man should boast, and if we will simply believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved to the glory of the Father. So we saw, again, that through Christ we can be saved. And the word there for salvation is also justification. Justification is just as if we never sinned. Praise God that through His shed blood we can be born again and all of our sin is wiped away. He moved from the doctrine of sin to the doctrine of salvation to the doctrine of sanctification, which just means to be set apart. Sanctification, justification is Christ dying for me. Sanctification is Christ living in me. And so we're going to see this morning as we get to chapter 12 that the Lord desires that not only to save us, but to live in us and to work mightily through us. And then we moved on to the doctrine of sovereignty. And what that simply means, that's a big word that just simply means that God is in control. The good news is that no matter what happens in the world around us, God is faithful and God is in control. Nobody's ever going to vote God out of office. Amen? And He knows all things. And as we saw in chapters 9, 10, and 11, that He has a perfect plan for us. He loves us. And God desires that none should perish, no, not one. And whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the offer of salvation is universal, but it must be accepted individually. God will not force His salvation on anyone. We choose to accept Him or to reject Him. Also, 
in a larger picture, we saw the last three weeks, God's plan for Israel. And we know that Israel as a nation is God's chosen people, but we also know that Israel as a nation, now I'm not talking about individual Jewish people, let me make that real clear. There are many Jews who've been born again and have a fire and a love for God just like we do. And the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian, we're all one in Christ, amen? But the nation of Israel right now is in rebellion against God. We were just there a few months back, several of us from church here, and we toured through Israel, and you could see just the, the blindness of the children of Israel. And in the last few verses of chapter 11, if you start there looking at verse 25, you'll notice that it talks about this mystery and how they are blind in part. And right now, that is where Israel is. They are blind in part. While there are some individuals who've come to know Christ as a nation, they are blind. But that blindness is going to end soon. And when will it end? It says there, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? The fullness of the Gentiles, I believe, is when the last Gentile prior to the rapture is saved. When the last person that God knows, that last on that list gets saved, that God knows is going to be, the entire church will be raptured away, and there will be a seven-year tribulation, during which... There will be mayhem like, no, like mankind has never seen before. Praise God, we won't be here. Amen? But during that time, we also know that the Jews will turn in mass to the Lord. After three and a half years, when the Antichrist sets himself up to be God, the abomination of desolation that's spoken of in Daniel, when he sets himself up to be God and he blasphemes, they're going to realize they've been duped, and they will finally understand that Jesus is the Messiah, and they will turn in mass to the Lord. So praise God, again, that God has still got a plan for the Jewish people. He still has a plan for Israel. While they're enemies of the gospel now, before it's over, many of them will turn to the Lord. Now what's great about that is it's got a personal application for each one of us. God desires that none of you perish. No, not one. He loves every single one of you. And you may be here this morning, drug in here by a friend or whatever it might be. Maybe you came on Father's Day to make your dad happy. I don't know. But here's the reality. You're here by divine appointment, and I want you to know that God loves you just the way you are. Amen? He that knows you best loves you most. And He's a great and an awesome God, and He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And you know what? The only thing that keeps that from happening is you rejecting Him. He reaches out to you this morning and says, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. So now as we come to chapter 12 this morning, the first 11 chapters were what is called again doctrine which is biblical truth and we see again doctrine of sin salvation sanctification and sovereignty and now we're going to apply that to our lives now we're going to go from understanding biblical truth now what okay pastor dave i understand everything you've taught me so far i read the bible myself i understand the word what does that mean to my life well we are to take what god has done for us and apply it to our lives and if we don't, as we've talked about many times, we will simply be the biggest, fattest sheep in town. Amen? We just get fed and get fed and get fed. Remember, the Dead Sea is dead because it has an inlet and no outlet. And God didn't, just save, didn't save us just so we could have the, you know, the get-out-of-hell-free card and live like the world. But He saved us that we might have intimate fellowship with Him. An intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe. So, let's begin here looking... In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. 
And I want to, again, just talk about this, that this is the, the duty of the believer. I don't believe this happened, and I can't believe, in 20 years of teaching the Bible, I have the wrong notes up here. This is Romans chapter 11, I taught you that last week, you don't want to hear that again, do you? <laughs> could somebody run out to my car, if my notes are not there, could somebody run out to my car and get them? Is that weak or what? <laughs> pastor Dave, this just shows the humanity of your pastor. I'm sitting here looking at my notes going, this is from last week. Unbelievable. All right. Well, you know what? We're going to start anyway in Romans chapter 12, and God's gracious. Amen? Unbelievable. All right. <laughs> Romans chapter 12. So what we see here in this chapter is taking and applying what we have learned and putting it into our lives. It's not just a doctrine, but there is uh, the word I would use is duty. It's a response to now being saved. Now how do we live? And the first thing that we see is our response to God. How do we respond to God? How do we relate to Him? So let's begin in verse 1. And he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy to God, which is your reasonable service. So the first thing he says is I beseech or I urge or I implore you. And this, again, notes our free will. He says, I urge you by the tender mercies of God that you present yourselves as sacrifices unto the Lord, living sacrifices unto God. And so, again, God doesn't just want us to pray a prayer and to say, okay, Lord, I believe in you, and I, I believe that there is a God out in the sky somewhere, and I'm going to pray a prayer because I want to get a get-out-of-hell-free card and put it in my wallet. But God desires more than that. As our Heavenly Father, He adopts us into His family. And I certainly don't want my children to look at me as somebody that they just identify as dad and then never spend any time with me and never have a relationship with me. But God desires that we not only accept Him as Lord and Savior, praise the Lord, come my notes. Thanks, bro. See how frail your pastor is? You got no notes, you got no game, got nothing. All right. All right. Okay. So again, he desires that we be living sacrifices, and the way that happens first is we must die to self. You guys, there's this battle that goes on in our lives every day, the battle for control, and we must first die to our will and die to our heart and die to our plans so we might live for the Lord. And that's why it says here that we are to therefore brethren, he's speaking to believers, by the mercies of God, based on the things that he's done for us. The word therefore, you've heard this before. When you see the word therefore, you ask what it's there for, right? And he says, therefore, in light of Romans 1 through 11, now how should we live? Based on the fact that, that he did die that we might have eternal life. Based on the fact that he is sovereign and in control, how do we respond? And he says, we are then, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. By the mercies of God, by His justification, His adoption, His Holy Spirit moving inside of us. And again, it's that transforming work in our lives. Now there's three things we're going to see in these, in these couple of verses here. That we give God our body, our mind, and our will. Again, it's not just, you know, we, uh, Pastor Don in San Jose used to say, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them. Right? We sing songs like, I surrender all, and he said, really, it'd probably be more accurate to sing, I surrender some, right? 
Because the reality is often we say, Lord, I give you my whole life until it starts infringing on the way we want to live. And what we're going to see here again is now applying all this truth to our lives and realizing it's time for us to die to self, that God might be glorified in us. And he first talks about your body. Present your body a living sacrifice. The word there, present, means to present once and for all. Just like when you present a husband to a wife. You're saying, from now on, I belong to you, and you and I are one. And no longer just about I and me, it's us and we. And from now on, more important than what I desire is how can I minister to you. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And what he's saying here is that we as Christians now are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Now, this is unique because in the Old Testament, they were all dead sacrifices, right? They were alive until they got up there, got their throat slit, and then wasn't pretty, right? Now, the reality is that God has called us to be living sacrifices, and I thought of two examples that we see in Scripture of living sacrifices. First of all, in Genesis 22, what about a man, young man by the name of Isaac? If you remember Abraham taking his son up, and Isaac, who at the time, people, you know, you see children's stories, and Isaac's like nine years old or five years old. He was probably closer to 25 or 30 years old. And his dad was like 125, all right? So do you think Isaac could have whooped up on his dad? Without any problem, right? But what did he do? Isaac freely laid down his life in obedience to the Father and said, you know what, you're my dad, and if this is what God's calling you to do, I'm going to lay down my life. As we know, Isaac was a picture or a type of Christ. Then the ultimate living sacrifice, of course, is Jesus, who went to the cross and suffered and died that we might have eternal life. And here he's saying that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not just the get-out-of-hell-free card, put it in your wallet, pray the sinner's prayer, and live like the world, but it's, Lord, I want you to have all of me. Amen? Lord, I want to give you my life. I want to give you my body. I want to give you my mind. I want to give you my will. Lord, I want you to be first and foremost in my life. Now, I can tell you honestly, most of you know I'm a PK, I'm a preacher's kid, I grew up in a Christian home, and I got saved at a very young age, but I can also tell you in all honesty that up until I was in college, while I loved the Lord, and I was very vocal about my faith, He was not the passion of my life. He was a passion in my life, but He was not the passion of my life. And I believe that's what this is talking about, presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, saying, Lord, nothing is more important than you. Nothing comes before you. I die to myself, to my will, to my passions, and Lord, I give all of it to you. Can you imagine what would happen in this world if all of us who call ourselves Christians did that? Amen? Can you imagine if we made Christ first and foremost in every way? Said, God, not my will, but thy will be done. Your heart, I give you my hands, I give you my voice, I give you everything, Lord. Not holding back on God. Did He hold back on us? He gave His only Son that we might have eternal life. Becoming a Christian isn't mumbling a prayer and joining a church or religious organization. It's more than just asking to be forgiven. It's becoming a living sacrifice. Dying to the person you used to be. Becoming a new creation. Giving your life completely to Him. God doesn't want just promises or commitments from you. He wants you. He wants you. He loves you. And He knows every wicked thing you've ever done, and He still loves you. Amen? What a great and awesome God we serve. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
It says there, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What amazes me is that if I present my body to God, it's holy and acceptable. Is that because I'm such a holy guy or you're such a holy gal or holy guy? No. It's because Christ is holy. Amen? And he makes our sacrifice holy because he now lives inside of us. And so when we present our bodies to him, it's a holy sacrifice. We're giving him something holy. We're giving him something set apart. And again, that lamb had to be holy, had to be firstborn, had to be spotless. And that's what we've become as we've given our lives to Christ. And it says there, which is your reasonable service. The word there for reasonable is rational or logical. Unlike the irrational or illogical sacrificing to the things of the world that are passing away, in the light of all that God has done for us, it only makes sense that we give our lives to Him. Amen? It only makes sense. Lord, you've done everything for me. How can I not give my life to you? And I'll tell you, in the world today, in a lot of churches today, man, that's just a little too radical. You know, Pastor Dave, lighten up, man. You know, I mean, Christianity's part of who I am, but it's not who I am. You know, I'm a, I'm a dad and a salesman and a, you know, I like to play softball and, you know, and I have other hobbies who happens to be a Christian. It's just part of who I am. Can I tell you something? If that's your understanding of Jesus Christ, you haven't met my Savior yet. Amen? Because it's not about, aren't you glad that He doesn't treat us that way? I've got this universe, and I've got some planets over here, and I've got, you know, I've got heaven going on, and angels, and I've got you, right? That's not how our God is. You do, do you know that he's numbered the hairs on your head? Do you know that he can't take his eyes off of you? That he never stops thinking about you? That you are always on his mind? How can we not have him always on our mind? Amen? And he's saying, it's reasonable. It makes sense that based on all that he has done for us, how can we not just give our lives to him? Man, our God is such a great and an awesome God. And we, may we live lives totally devoted to him. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we offer up our bodies to him as living sacrifices, and now we're going to talk about our mind. Now the word here for conformed, and, and this is really a key right now, do not be conformed to this world. The world wants control of your mind. Amen? Who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan is. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we watch stuff all day long that wants us to compromise our faith. We entertain ourselves with stuff that wants us to get our eyes off of Christ. And we're bombarded with stuff that wants us to be conformed to the image of the world. But the Bible tells us, again, do not be conformed to the world, to the world system, to popular culture, to its manner of thinking. The world is in rebellion against God. And if we're getting along with the world and flowing with the world, you know, go with the flow, I don't see that in the Bible. Amen? You know, live and let live, not in Scripture. It's in a lot of bumper stickers in Santa Cruz, I know that. But it's not in God's Word. God desires that we be in the world, but not of the world. That again, we have a burden for the lost, and we're not self-righteous, we're not holier than thou, we don't look down on the world, but we are new creations in Christ, and we should be different than the world. And you know what really breaks my heart is that many churches today have said we need to be more like the world so we can reach the lost. I know you've heard that. 
There's books out about how we need to be more like the world. Can I tell you something right now? People were not attracted to Jesus Christ because he was like the world. Amen? We don't need to be like the world. We need to be in the world and not of it. And as it says in this verse, do not be conformed to this world. Don't fall into conformity with the things of this earth that are passing away. We need to be sold out and set apart and different, and we need to be halogen lights shining in a lost and a dying world. Salt and light. That's what God has called us to be. And again, the world wants us to conform to their ungodly pattern, and you're going to catch heat. You know, if you don't conform, what happens? They start calling you things like a bigot, narrow-minded, closed-minded, You know, you're not politically correct. You know what? I will never be politically correct. I want to be biblically correct. Amen? I want to be godly correct. Not following after and trying to fit in with the world. Now again, should we have a burden for the lost? Absolutely. Should we love them with our whole heart? Without question. Should we... As I had a pastor tell me, you know, if, if, people, like, if people in your church like to go to, you know, if there's guys in, on, in your neighborhood that like to go to the strip club, you should go with them so you can have something in common. I'm like, uh, what Bible are you reading? The reality is they're not reading the Bible. That's the problem. Amen? It's this whole surge to just be like the world and do what they do so you can fit in. I promise you that you being conformed to the world it's only going to cause you to be more worldly, not cause them to be more godly. Amen? And so he says here, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the opposite of being a conformer. The battleground between conformed to the world and being transformed is within the mind of the believer. As Christians, we must think different than the world. In the light of the cross, we must live different, act different, and think different. Amen? The things that are important to the world cannot be the passion of our lives. If, you're, if you wake up in the morning, and again, it's okay, and we're going to talk about this if we have time to, uh, as we go through the chapter, it's okay to go out and pursue and do your job 110%. I believe all Christians should. But if the passion of your life is your job, you need to make the passion of your life Jesus Christ. Amen? If the passion of your life is your hobbies or anything else, You need to be transformed. You need to start thinking different. You need to stop viewing success as being powerful in the eyes of the world, but instead being intimate with the creator of the universe. Be transformed. Now, I love this word, transformed. It's the word metamorphosis. And transformation comes from the inside out. Being conformed comes from the outside in. Being transformed comes from the inside out. Now, some people think, That transformation comes from you trying harder. I need a bunch of rules, and then I can try to conform to them, and I'll be transformed. No, you won't. You'll just blow it more, that's all. Amen? The more rules you give yourself, the more you're going to blow it. What has to happen is not you trying harder, not you having more willpower. What has to happen is you dying to self and allowing the Spirit of the living God to indwell you and have Him transform you from the inside out. It's not works that save you it's not holy living that produces produces salvation it's salvation that produces holy living amen it's when we're turned inside out what happened on the mount of transfiguration the only other time this word is used in the bible on the mount of transfiguration when god revealed his when jesus revealed his glory he was literally turned inside out and his glory he beheld his glory it was brighter than the noonday sun and that's 
again, the inside of our Savior, and that should be the inside of us. We should be transformed. It's been said that we are all either thermometers or thermostats. We either reflect what's going on around us, being impacted from the outside, or we impact what's going on around us. A thermostat changes the temperature in the room. A thermometer reflects it. As Christians, we should not just be reflecting what's going on in the room. We ought to change the temperature when we walk in there. Amen? Again, because we love the Lord, and we have a different perspective, and we're not passionate about the things that they are, and we start to share with them the love of God. And that's what God has called us to be, transformed. Thermostats, not thermometers. And so may you be transformed by, how, do you, how are you transformed? By the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We are being transformed from glory to greater glory. The more that we fall in love with the Lord, the more and more we become a reflection of Him. The world, again, pressures us from without to conform to its standard. But as we seek the Lord, He will transform us from within. So how do I keep my mind on the Lord? How do I keep my mind on Him? How do I renew my mind? You know what, maybe you're sharper than me, but I'm a pretty simple guy. I can really only focus, really focus on one thing at a time. That's just the way I am. I prepare one message at a time. I focus on one thing at a time. Why? Because I, I can't, if I get trying to think of 19 different things, I get distracted and nothing happens. And the reality is, if my mind is totally focused on the Lord, if I'm seeking Him in His Word, if I'm seeking Him through prayer, if I've got worship music cranked in my car wherever I go, you know what's happening? My eyes are on Him and I'm not distracted by the world. But as soon as I get distracted, and as soon as I take my eyes off of God, and He's saying, by the renewing of your mind, can I encourage you? Again, this is the exhortation part of the message, all right? Can I encourage you guys, if you're not doing it now, again, not, this is not a work, this is not to earn salvation. You're, if you're born again, you're going to heaven, Okay? But can I encourage you, if you don't get up in the morning and pray and spend some time in the Word before you leave your house, can I encourage you to do that? Because when you do, you will leave your house with a renewed mind. You will leave your house with your eyes and your passion and your focus on the Lord. You won't be yelling at that guy when he cuts you off on the freeway, all right? It's amazing how when you begin your day with the Lord and spend your day with the Lord and renew your mind and have your eyes focused on God, how you do live a transformed life. If the world controls your thinking, you're going to be influenced by culture. But if your eyes are on the Lord, and you're renewing your mind, and you're passionate about Him, you begin to not only transform your mind, but look at the rest of verse 2. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when your eyes are focused on God, and your mind is being renewed, and you've given up your body, now your will begins to be conformed to His will. That's what this verse says. You begin to, again... Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know God's will for your life? Spend time in His Word. You want to know God and have God lead and direct your every single step? Spend time in the morning praying and seeking His face. You spend time in prayer and you spend time in His Word. You surround yourself with other believers in Christ. And when the distractions come, you're standing on solid ground. But if you wait till Sunday morning to blow the dust off your Bible... When I was a youth pastor, kids would leave their Bible at church, and I used to just hang on to it to see how long it would take them to figure out they didn't have it. And if it took them a month to figure it out, that's not a good sign. 
Yeah, my Bible's been missing for like a month. I'm like, dude, you must be starving, right? Because the Bible says we're to desire the Word of God more than our necessary food, right? And the reality is that we want our minds renewed and our will to match His will, then we need to hunger and thirst after Him. And it says that you may prove what is a good and acceptable, perfect will of God. It's only when we surrender and yield our will to His that we can walk in victorious Christian living. And how do we surrender? We surrender through prayer. I truly believe, and I'm confessing for me, I don't pray enough. And I pray daily, and I love to pray, but I don't pray enough. Now again, I'm not trying to guilt, you know, I'm not trying to make this a work. But you know, God speaks to me, and prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes my heart. And the more I pray, the more He changes my heart, the more He conforms my heart to His will. And so the Lord wants you and I not to just pray a, you know, prayer over our Wheaties, right? Not a Holy Spirit rocket up to heaven. You know, thank you for this food, bless my day. Amen, that's not prayer, guys. All right, nice try. Here's the reality. I want to hear from my kids. And I love nothing more than when one of my kids comes and crawls in my lap, says, Daddy, I love you, and just starts sharing with me about his day and about the concerns on his heart. And you know what? There's nothing more important to me. I don't care what's going on. Everything stops when one of my kids crawls in my lap. You know what? He is Abba Father, which means Daddy. And Daddy is never far away. And He desires that we crawl up in His lap and say, Daddy, here's what's going on with me. Daddy, help me today to walk in the fullness of Your Spirit. Help me with the struggle with the people at work and the difficulties that are going on in my life. I'm trying to do it my way and it's hard. Help me. And you know what? He'll answer that prayer every single time. Begin each day by surrendering to the Lord. Your body surrender your mind say lord renew my mind and then lord conform me to your will spending time in prayer and spending time in his word to live a transformed life so now we see how god calls us to to come to him as living sacrifices and some of you might be sitting here going man that's just a little too radical for me and i didn't sign up for that program i just thought again i could get the get out of hell free card and live like the world i mean i didn't know i was signing up for this can i tell you something the more you fall in love with the Lord and the closer you are to Him, the greater joy you're, you're going to experience, the greater peace you're going to have in life because that's what you were created for. And God loves you so very much. So now the remainder of the chapter, He's going to speak, and actually the remainder of the epistle of Romans, He's going to start to deal with our relationship with others. So now that we've presented ourselves to Him as living sacrifices, how then should we treat others? How should we as Christians live our lives? What does a Christian life look like? Let's begin in verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. We serve God by using first our spiritual gifts, and it begins with humility. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble but he resists the proud. And there's nothing that grieves the heart of God more than somebody who's arrogant about their salvation or arrogant about their gifts. How can we be arrogant about our salvation, our gifts? Here's the reality. Any gift you have, God gave you. Amen? And you can't walk around saying, yeah, I'm gift." And I hear, I hear people do this on the radio. I heard a guy, I'm anointed. I was, I'm anointed. My hands are anointed. I'm like, dude, you, you ain't anointed on this channel anymore because, you know, <laughs> enough of you. And the reality is... When we start talking and being arrogant like that, 
The reality is that we're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? And we are all sinners saved by grace. And I need to remain desperate for him because without him I can do nothing. And he says here in this verse that we must first remain humble. You want God to use you? Remain humble. You know what I love? I love when God so clearly shows me somebody's gifting. And I go and I talk to them about being involved in ministry here or becoming a pastor. And you know, every guy that I've ever asked to become a pastor at this church, every one of them has, in one way or another, said, I'm not worthy. And I said, that's how I know you're called. Because you're humble. And you're desperate for God. And you don't feel worthy. If I ever ask a guy and he goes, what have you been waiting for, man? I was, you know, I've been just sitting here going, what are they doing without me, man? These guys need my help, Right? And the reality is that there are some that feel that way and they're not going to be called by God. God is looking for those who are humble and desperate for Him. Those are the men and the women that He can use. You want to see the truth about yourself. Remain humble before God. Realize that without Him you can do nothing. When God called Moses, remember that Moses said, I'm a stutterer, I can't do it. That's why God used him mightily. And remember this, when you start to get puffed up about the gifts that you have and start to feel pretty like, well, man, church couldn't really do without me just remember that god used a donkey (laughs) amen you've been coming on wednesday night donkey talked so if god can use a donkey and he uses us well put two and two together here's the reality we shouldn't be too puffed up because god uses a donkey and god can use us the fruit in ministry should result in praise of him not pride within amen When we see God doing great things in ministry, we should praise Him, not be prideful in ourselves. You start to see God blessing in the children's ministry where you're teaching, blessing in the men's Bible study, blessing in the church, blessing at work where you're sharing your faith. You should praise Him, not be prideful within. Amen? Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. I love the church because it is both unified and diversified. What I love about it is, how many churches are there? One. And all born-again believers are a part of it. Now, today in Santa Cruz, there are people meeting all over Santa Cruz County, and those who are truly born-again, Bible-believing, testifying of Jesus Christ, we're all part of the same church. Amen? even though we're meeting in different buildings today. And I pray for the other churches in town. I pray for the pastors weekly. Because, you know what, I'm not concerned about how they get to shore, about which you know, boat they're in, as long as they get to shore. I want to see the people of Santa Cruz County saved. It's not about building up Calvary Chapel, it's about building up the kingdom of God. Amen? And so we see here that we are one church, but God has given us all unique gifts. And here's the reality, you guys. This is why I exhort you to use your gift. Because you have gifts that I don't. You have gifts, some of you, that maybe nobody else in this church does, or very few other people in this church do. And if all we've got are a bunch of mouths, it's going to be real loud in here, right? We need eyes and ears and hands and feet. We need everyone to take the gifts that we've been given and to use them that the body might be glorified, that the church might grow, that people might be ministered to. There are people you can minister to that I cannot. And God wants us all to use our gifts. You do not want me getting up here leading worship. You'd all run from the building screaming, I promise you, all right? That's not my gift, okay? And you might say, well, you don't want me to get up there and teach. Well, maybe not, okay? But the reality is, 
that we all have gifts, and God desires that we use them. And, and I promise you this, you pray and ask God to show you what your gifts are and how he wants to use them, and he will. Amen? And you know what? You'll be blessed, and the body will be blessed because of your obedient, obedience. We're one in Christ, but we're all unique in the way that we've been gifted. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that was given, let us think about them for the next 15 years. Is that what it says? It says, let us what? Use them. You've got a gift. What are you doing with it? Amen? Too often, that's what happens. I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, yeah, you know, I know that I've got this gift. I've, since 1979, I've been praying about what to do with it. <laughs> hey, you know what? If you come to this church and you call this place home and you've got a gift, would you please use it because we need it? Amen? The body needs to be encouraged and strengthened and edified. And that's going to happen when we say, Lord, you've saved me that you might use me. I present my life, my body, everything to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, how do you want to use me? Lord, I'm available. Use my life. And it's a blessing when that happens. All gifts are given for God's glory, and we should neither be prideful of them, nor should we be lax in using them. The Holy Spirit gifts us all uniquely, and all are needed for the church to function properly. Again, use them. And when you use them, God will be glorified and you will be blessed. Real quickly, personal testimony. Most, most of you have heard this, but you know, I was a Christian kid, loved the Lord, and I remember I was, my wife and I were newly married. We were living in Southern California, and we were going to Calvary Chapel, Lancaster, and we were working in the children's ministry, and I was coming early two, two Sundays a month to help set up chairs and the sound system and all that kind of stuff. But I really felt like, that's it. There's my calling, and I'm doing it, and I did it as unto the Lord, and I loved it. And I remember driving back and forth to work, and God started breaking my heart, saying, Dave, I want to do more with you. And I didn't even know what that meant. And I went to church the following Sunday, and our pastor said, hey, if you're here, and you feel like God wants to do more with you, I'm going to have a discipleship group starting today at 2 o'clock called Cross Training. And I was like, oh man, I turned to my wife, that's me. The Niners are on and I'm going, so you know that's me, right? You know God's calling me, right? <laughs> so I went, and I kid you not, three weeks later, this guy asked, my pastor asked me to be the youth pastor. I said, wait a minute, whoa, I, I just came for some discipleship. I would, you know, hey, youth pastor, I didn't know what a youth pastor does, right? And he just said, pray about it. Make a long story short, I became the youth pastor, and then that grew into teaching Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and teaching the prison and doing the men's ministry. And I didn't, I didn't ask for any of it. I just knew that God wanted to do more with me. Maybe you're here this morning and you know God wants to do more with you. May you pray and say, Lord, show me what you want to do with me. And the Lord will use you. And I promise you this, I'm so thankful that I had a pastor who was willing to look at a, a young guy in his early 20s and say, you know what, why don't you go do this? Because I was not worthy, and I was not able, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? Now look at what some of these gifts are. Do not, we don't have the same function, so being many are one body, individual members, verse 6, having then gifts differing, and we saw that, use them. Now what are the gifts? If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now what is Prophecy. This is a, a gift that can be very misunderstood. Let me explain it to you. Prophecy, most often, is foretelling of truth. Now, it's foretelling, but it's also forthtelling. What I'm doing right now, 
is prophecy. Why? Because we are foretelling truth. Is this truth right here? This is truth more than anything else. Amen? Right? Now, as we share the truth, as you share a verse with somebody at work, as you, hey, can I, can I share something with you? I know you're going through a tough time, and you share a verse, that's the gift of prophecy. You're prophetically speaking or for, forth telling truth. But there is also the gift of foretelling. And I have to tell you that it's scary to use that gift. How many of you have ever had, you know that God's telling you to share something with somebody and you're scared spitless to do it? Raise your hand. I, I, I remember, and I'm like, well, what if I'm wrong? You know, Lord, I, well, I, and I remember a friend of mine, a guy down in Southern California named Mark Tain, he was a close friend of mine. I've been sharing my faith with him for years, and he just didn't want to hear it. He was very respectful, but he never wanted to hear it. And I went into the office one day, and this guy who never showed emotion was weeping at his desk. And I walked by and said, what's going on? He goes, my dad's just been diagnosed with head-to-toe cancer, and they've given him three months to live. And I said, can I pray for him? And the first time I saw a light go on, and he said, would you please? So I began praying for his dad, and about a month later, we were out playing golf, and I remember it so clearly. We're standing, and he's teeing off, and I'm, sit- I'm standing behind him, and I felt the Lord tell me, and I don't have this happen every day, okay? I'm not, you know, I'm not channeling or anything, all right? But... I felt the Lord tell me, and it wasn't an audible voice, he wasn't saying Dave, but he, but he was you know, ministering to my heart. He said, I'm going to heal his dad. I'm going to heal his dad. I want you to tell him. I'm like, I'm, I'm back there, he's teeing off and I'm arguing with God, but, but Lord, I've been ministering to this guy for years, and if I'm wrong, he's never going to believe in you. You know, that's a real rational discussion with God, isn't it? But Lord, if I tell him and, and I'm wrong, I'm, you know, how do I, this could be me, how do I, Right? And so you know what? Your pastor chickened out. I didn't tell him. Two weeks later, Mark comes into the office, comes over to my desk and says, bro, you're not going to believe this. I go, what? My dad went into the doctor and his cancer is gone. I'm like, duh, right? Should have told him, right? And the reality is there are times when God is going to allow us to foretell. Now, I want to say this. I believe it is an extremely abused gift as well. I've had people throw out, thus saith the Lord, like they're talking about, you know, what they're having for dinner. Be careful. I think it's very abused. I've had people that told me, well, a pastor told me 10 years ago that this was going to happen, so I'm just not wavering from that. Make sure that anything that is told to you bears witness with Scripture. Amen? Make sure that it bears witness with the Holy Spirit speaking to you in your heart. You make sure it's the Lord and not just someone's opinion. And too many times I have people say that, well, I have a word, and so I'm not, you know, and they'll tell me stuff that I know is not God. I have a word, I'm supposed to divorce my husband. Oh, you don't, that, that, you didn't get that word from God. Whoever told you that's lying, because that's contrary to Scripture. God will never contradict himself, amen? So prophecy is both foretelling and foretelling of truth. Along with prophecy, what are some of the other gifts? Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. So what is ministry? And who's called to ministry? Well, that would be all of us. And ministry speaks of the gift of practically serving one another. It's taking the truth of God's Word and applying it to your life. Remember that Jesus both taught and He touched. Amen? He taught people, but He also touched people. He reached out and transformed their lives. He taught them truth, but He also ministered to their physical needs. And do you know what? 
This gift is as needed and as high a calling as any other. And those who have it serve faithfully without need of recognition and are blessed. You know what? On Sunday morning or on Wednesday night or here in this church, there's so much that has to go on for us to have church. Now those of you who show up at 10 o'clock or a little after, if it hits you, you know, all right. But here's the thing. When you show up for church, you walk in here and everything's ready to go. But that's because people came several hours early and set up chairs and set up sound systems and got the words typed up so you could sing worship and set up the ministry tables, although the men's didn't look like it took too long. But set up, set up the ministry tables and, you know, spent hours setting up the bookstore and, out, and you know, and going in and, and, and preparing for the children's ministry and getting the materials out for the kids and, and all that stuff is practical ministry, but all of that is important for the church to function. And it's just as high a calling to, you know, get the bathrooms cleaned and to set up the coffee and prepare for the agape feast and set up the communion as it is to get up and lead worship or teach the Bible. Because God has given us all different gifts, and they're all necessary for the church to function. And so you know what? Great is your reward if you're someone who feels called. And, and there's a group of people who do it, and I've never heard anybody complain. They just do it, because that's what I'm called to do. I love to come early, and I love to prepare so the people can be ministered to. And can I say this too? I believe the best place to start in ministry is right there. Start doing the practical. Too often people would come in, we had a youth group in San Jose, and the youth group was massive, and God was blessing it. And people would come in, and the first thing they want, well, I, I feel called to be involved in the youth ministry. And what they felt called to do was have my job. You know, I feel called to be teaching every Sunday. Well, we got someone doing that, right? And so often I would say, well, great, you feel called? Could you come early and set up the chairs and be available to pray with the kids? Oh, well, not, that's not what I saw. No, that's not what I'm looking for. Well, if you're willing to do that, that shows a humble heart that can be used mildly by God. Amen? It begins with the practical. Lord, I'm willing to do the practical. We're almost done. We're only going to go through verse 8. There's no way we're getting through the chapter. I can already see that. All right. Now look at the next gift. Teaching. Now the word there for teaching speaks of instruction, informing, doctrinal learning, systematically teaching through the Word of God. That's exactly what the gift that I have is. It's to teach you guys the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. We don't skip over chapters and verses. We go right through the whole Bible. And so God desires that you be taught the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by Word of God. You want to grow in your faith, you need to be taught. And so if you have the gift of teaching, God is calling you to use it. Now, we have plenty of need for teachers in this church in the children's ministry. We have need for for uh, other teachers to help in all kinds of ministries. If you want to come to the men's Bible study on Friday morning, you can get involved in teaching there. And I would love to see you use your gifts. But be praying about it, because God did not give you the gifts so you could not use it. Verse 8, He who exhorts in exhortation. You guys have no idea what that is, because I never do that, right? No, exhortation is, teaching is the defining of truth, and exhortation is the demanding of truth. It's applying it to your life. It's the Holy Spirit kicking the pants, right? All right, now you know it. Go do it, right? Amen? That's exhortation, exhorting us not to just be pew potatoes, not just to be the biggest, fattest, best-fed sheep in town, but literally to take what we've, been lear what we've learned and then go out and use it for God's glory that He might be glorified. Again, God saved us to use us. And 
Christian living is more than just calling ourselves Christians. It's more than praying a sinner's prayer and putting a fish on the back of your car. Amen? It's being transformed. It's being a new creation. It's living a totally radically different life. It's now having a life that impacts the world around you, making you a thermostat, not a thermometer. You become somebody who transform, is transformed and touching the world around you. And then you start taking those gifts God's given you and you use them for His glory and it's the greatest joy there is. God saved you to use you. Last couple of gifts here. Exhortation again. Encouragement. And then it says, He who gives with liberality. Oh, we knew that was coming. Here's the reality, guys. If, you've, if this is your first week here, one thing you're going to learn about this church, we teach the Bible. And if it's in the text, we teach it. But I'll tell you what, I'm never going to ask you for your money. We don't even pass an offering here. You know why? There's too many churches out there today that that's what the whole program's about. We're all about Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. We believe that where God guides, God provides, and He has provided for this church from day one by us simply just saying, if you want to give, there's boxes in the corner, help you. God bless you. But if you have the gift of giving, you should do it with liberality. And again, I want to say this, I love when I see people with every gift, including this one, because often these are people that have been blessed, and they realize that all they have is the, is the Lord's, and they love to give. And I'll tell you, it's amazing. I shouldn't be surprised, but I often am. When I'll see there's this desperate need, there's a family in our church that's hurting, there's somebody that has a need for something, and, I'm, and, and I remember in San Jose walking through the hallway, and we had 20 kids that couldn't afford to go to, to camp, or it transforms their lives. And this guy walked up to me and said, God put it in my heart to give you this. And the check was the exact amount to pay for 20 kids to go to camp. That's giving with liberality. It's hearing from the Lord, just like teaching or exhorting or anything else. You, and again, don't give because a guy's twisting your arm but behind your back. If you don't give this week, we're going to go off the air. Then go off the air. Amen? I mean, the reality is, you shouldn't have to pound on people. Our radio program, we don't ask for money. Why? Because where God guides, God provides. Amen? We get to watch the Holy Spirit work if we don't go pound on people. But I'll say this. Don't give because men manipulate you, but be obedient to give when God prompts you. Amen? There's somebody that you have a burden for and God puts it on your heart. Certainly uh, giving to the Lord, first and foremost, but then giving to others and ministering to hearts. It's truly a gift. And then lastly, it said, He who leads with diligence and he who shows mercy, cheerfulness. You know what? In the church today, we are called to be diligent. Do you know that laziness is a sin? And I have to confess to you, that it drives your pastor nuts. Because one of the things that we get a lot of is people coming in that are just flat out lazy. And I tell them, you know what your problem is? What? You're lazy. <laughs> when God dropped manna out of the sky in numbers, he made them get out of the tent every morning and go get it, didn't he? He didn't drop it in their mouth. They weren't, ah, you know. He said, get up every day and go out and get the manna. The Lord desires that we be diligent, amen? And I believe that as Christians, we should be the best workers in the building. I believe that people should go, dude, what's up with you? It's Jesus, amen? Man, you're working so hard. Everybody else shirks, takes long lunches, takes shortcuts, does this. How come you're so faithful? Because I'm doing my job as unto the Lord, amen? And when you lead, you be diligent, and you do your job that God might be glorified in it. And then it says, showing mercy, Mercy is a true gift. 
It's supernatural when you can look at those who have done you wrong and you show them mercy, giving them something they don't deserve, not giving them what they deserve. It's incredible enough to respond mercifully to one who deserves judgment, and it's supernatural to do it with a cheerful heart. It blows people's minds when they're deserving of something and you just let it go. That's all right, let it go. That's what Christ wants us to do. Amen? You want to be salt and light? You want to live a transformed life? You want to be able to really minister to the world around you? May God take the gifts that He's given you. First, may you come to Him and present yourself to Him as a living sacrifice. So, Lord, my body is yours, my mind is yours, my will is yours. And then take those gifts He's given you and say, Lord, show me the gifts and let's use them for your glory. Because when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Nothing else is going to matter. He's not going to ask for my 401k in judgment day. Amen? He's not going to ask me how many yellow page ads I sold. That's what I used to do before I was a full-time pastor. He's not going to ask me how many square feet were in my house or what my you know, handicap was at golf. But I will be judged for what I've done with the gifts he's given me. And you know what? It's a joy to use him for his glory. I don't want you to be guilted into doing things for God. Don't do that. You do it because he loves you. And because you realize how much he loves you, you desire to, to minister for him and to minister to him. And as you've heard me say, you cannot minister for the Lord if you do not minister to the Lord. If you're not spending intimate time with him this way, it's going to be hard for you to reach out and minister to people this way. Amen? Begin your day in his presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, Lord, that you saved us, but you also desire to use us. Help us, Lord, not to just be saved, but to be transformed. Help us, Lord, to live lives sold out and set apart to you. Help us to walk in the center of your will, to have our minds renewed, to be passionate for you, Lord, to have you be the priority in our lives. Father, as we go to this time of communion, I pray, Lord, that we would do this in remembrance of you, that it would not be common, but, Lord, we would look back at that awesome work on the cross, and, Lord, that it would be a time that as we look back at you, our living sacrifice, that we might present ourselves to you as living sacrifices. So, Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Right now we're going to take communion. If anybody needs to run to the restroom, help yourself. God bless you. Communion here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. You show up, you're born again, you're a part of the church. So what we do is get the, the worship team is going to get, begin to play some worship. You just come on up, grab the elements, go back to your seat, and communion or the Lord's Supper is simply remembrance of the work that Christ did for us on the cross. His, his, the bread is a picture of his body which was broken for us, and the, the juice is a picture of his blood which was shed for many for the remission of sins. And as we take communion, it's a time to examine our hearts, remember what he has done for us. And again, this is for those who've been born again. This is something that you do after you've given your life to Christ in remembrance of the work he has done for you, okay? And so as they begin to play, just come on up, grab the elements, and go back and sit down and take communion. Let me pray for communion. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the work of the cross. I thank you again that we can commune with you, that we can have fellowship with you. May you bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.